industry-leading, difference-making, tomorrow-shaping, world-changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future at Deloitte. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy-efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com slash rebates. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as per usual, is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle's senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, dude, big game coming up tomorrow. Obviously, uh, Broncos at the Bills get to get another good look at the depth because it doesn't sound like the Broncos are going to play a whole lot of their starters but the Bills are probably going to. It sounds like they're going to get a healthy amount. So the depth of this roster is probably going to get a really good test going against some players that obviously are going to be playing every single week on Sunday. Eric, how are you doing tonight, sir? And give me just some brief expectations really fast before we do some quick matters of business. Well, I'm extremely tired and exhausted. Was Spent my day trying to get down to Denver for the meet and greet for the I believe on the 25th for the game against the 49ers, that Sunday night football game. And then stressing out about my daughter's appointment, doctor's appointment next week, where she has to be put under and have some work done on her mouth. Other than that, I'm good. I'm excited for tomorrow's game. I'm excited to see the, see the depth of the the Broncos, because as you said, they're going to get tested and they're going to get tested in key areas that you want to see them tested. Mm -hmm. The defensive line depth, the corner depth, the wide receiver depth, like this is going to be a big test for all of them. And even the backup quarterback, like mm-hmm. it's all a big test for them that I'm anxious to see. Yeah. I, I, it's always great to watch these preseason games. We talked about this, this last week and, you know, just understanding like the starters probably not going to see a whole lot of action regardless throughout the preseason. At least that's the way that Nathaniel Hackett and Justin Outen, the way that they've been talking in their press conferences, we're probably not going to see a lot of the starters for the most part, trying to keep them healthy, which is a, an interesting debate that I want to get into here in just a couple of minutes, but just the depth in general, how the bottom, the bottom, what, 15 players of this roster is going to play out and what their roles could potentially be. You're going to see that against some higher quality opponents, especially in a team that's favored to win the Super Bowl this year. They have the quarterback that's favored to win the MVP this year in Josh Allen. Like the Bills are a high quality team and they've got some high quality players. So to see where the Broncos shape up against a team like the Bills who have been perennial contenders over the last three or so years, it's it's going to be a really good sight to see. But guys, before we get into everything, just want to say hello to everybody in the chat. We've got uh, Kenny Booker in the house as, uh, as per usual. Kenny's been in the in the house for a long time now. Great friend of ours. Um, Mark Hoynak as well. Paul in the house. Kevin Gray, uh, first no fear, back in the house asking a bunch of questions. We'll maybe get a couple, a couple of those here in just a second. Uh, Michaela Israel is actually a uh, – 
it's a it's a new name to me. So Michaela, thank you for for jumping in here saying, hey, what's the link to buy the new swag? I, I don't know if there's a new link, but the one that we have always kind of thrown up there to everybody is huddleuppod.com. Guys, get your swag on. That's where you can get all the new merchandise. Um, I, I think we still have some Dub Valley Deep Diver stuff up up there as well. But if not, we do need to get that back into the into the fold and everything. But that's pretty much we've got what 50 people in the room, still kind of filling up everything. But guys, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Sanderson MHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle and for Scott, who's running the ones and twos behind the scenes. Good to have Scott in the chat again at Scout Kennedy. Now, Eric, the the big debate that's been going on for the most part at um in Broncos country, just not only in the media, but even with ourselves for the most part behind the scenes is what is the the situation here with playing these starters? And like, why are we not going to potentially see those guys go out there? Obviously the injuries and stuff like that are a huge concern. You want to keep your guys as healthy as humanly possible, but you see teams like the bills going to go out there and play a lot of their starters. Andy Reid has come out and said that a lot of the starters for the Kansas city chiefs are going to play the majority of the first half. Like there's teams all over the, all over the place. The, the Indianapolis Colts last week against the bills, they played most of their, their first team starting offense for the majority of, of the first half last week. So I, I, I kind of want your philosophy and maybe your take on this just a little bit. What is, what do you think about playing your starters in the preseason? Is, is this maybe a misstep by Nathaniel Hackett and the coaching staff for the Denver Broncos? To me, it really comes down to where, like how, What's the right word here? Um, how I don't want to say how valuable, but where they're at in the like as a starter, are they like a cemented starter that's you know you know is going to go out there and perform? Someone like Russell Wilson or Cortland Sutton? No, I don't need to see them. Are they a starter that is has somebody behind them pushing for this spot? Yeah, I think they do need to go out there. Are they a starter that has a bunch of questions about them, like Lloyd Cushenberry? I'm not saying go out there and play a whole game, play a half, but a series or two. Like, yeah, you want to get those guys out there because if they're still having these concerns in preseason action, you want to have the go onto the tape and be like, hey, you got to fix this before the regular season comes. Mm -hmm. It gives you a better footing of where they're at before the season games actually come on. That's not something we need, as I said, with Cortland Sutton or Russell Wilson, but guys like Jerry Judy, guys like um, Lloyd Cushenberry, as I mentioned, Mike Purcell, like those are guys that you want to see where they're at. Josie Jewell, even who's coming back from an injury, you want to see where he's at, at coming back from that. I agree for the most part with what you're what, what you're coming with there. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to try to like push back on you on this one. The one thing I will say is. I would like to see Russell Wilson, at least for like a series. It doesn't have to be a whole lot, maybe a series or two. And this comes off of a take, and I heard it from, this is from Benjamin Albright, Ryan Edwards on Broncos Country Tonight last night, saying that it's not only about going out there and, and getting yourself hit. It's about seeing like the speed of the game again, getting yourself back out there, um, understanding the guys moving around you and stuff like that. Obviously, you want to protect your players as as much as humanly possible, but there's definitely an aspect of like the communication, you know, the play calling into the huddle, getting that communication from from Russell Wilson's mouth to the players, getting them lined up in the right spots and stuff like that. There's there's some benefit to that. I don't think that it needs to be uh, like the full first half, like what the the Bills are potentially going to do uh, tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon, excuse me, or with the with the Chiefs and, and what they have done, or even with the Colts or whoever that may be. But just to get them out there and get that that one time, we're going to do this just for a series or two, I think that's just a little bit beneficial, even though it may not be the be-all, end-all for the success of the season. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, like, if you want to get Russell Wilson out there, I wouldn't do more than a series. Go out there, see if he can show the chemistry that's needed. Go down, drive, and lead a scoring drive, preferably a touchdown. Field goals, all right. Just, you know, for the for the reasons you were said, but if they don't, I'm not going to be too upset about it. It's not going to be and it, it's not going to be as problematic for me as it is with some of the other guys with the Josie Jewel, with the, the Lloyd Cushenberry, the guys who have to go out there and actually have something to prove. Travis Weber comes in and says, good evening, Lance, Eric and Broncos country. Just someone showing some love. Kind of surprised playing Buffalo's playing the ones myself. Um, I am too, but Connor McDermott, even though he's a little bit of a younger coach, he kind of seems older school, old school. And a lot of the old school coaches are the ones that are still pretty adamantly playing their playing the their starters and their veterans and stuff like that. Where some of the younger coaches are kind of going with the the new age of more so resting them. So I, I'm right there with you. And Travis, thank you for the generous stars donation. We appreciate you for joining us as always. Um, to me, the, this old school versus new school mentality. It, the the proof is going to be in the pudding here. Obviously, you see these these older coaches the way it was before with two a days, the, the harder full pad practices where we're having a bunch of contact and stuff like that. That that's the 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 norm for a lot of what these players are used to, and also what uh, we we as fans are accustomed to seeing all the time. This new stuff where the, where they're playing behind the science and they're saying there's a lot of science in you know taking that third day off, having that jog through and everything. I'm I, I still I, I brought it up last week going into the Cowboys game. What is this team like physically? Are, are they are they physically prepared to go into this season? And are they going to have that kind of lapse where they don't have even just a little bit of a quote-unquote callus, if you will, on their body? It, like tackling, I, I said it last week, is an art. It, 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 you have to be able to understand how to wrap up, how to drive your legs, how to form tackle correctly. You're not just out there throwing shoulders around. There's a benefit to being out there and doing that in live game action, whereas the Broncos, they haven't even hardly done that if at all, in training camp or any of these preseason practices, from what I understand. So it's kind of a give and take here. There's there's some nuances to it that need to be discussed on both sides of it. However, I do like the approach from what this Broncos team is doing. I just need to see it in live game action, whether that's in the preseason or in the regular season specifically. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. Yeah, and I mean, we have evidence of not playing your starters, being able to work out. Last year, the Rams, they didn't play most of their starters and they had the new quarterback Mm -hmm. um the year before that obviously there was no preseason um the packers ever since um lafleur's gotten there they haven't really played their starters in the preseason 2019 the season from patrick Mahomes, he only had 22 plays out there on the field mm -hmm. or something like that 20 some odd he didn't have very many like so you don't have to it it is what it is you can sit there and you can still go it and with the way denver's schedule is if you don't get russell wilson out there then that's fine because you have those for a few games those first two games that are kind of easy that you can sit there and work on but you're right when it comes to tackling like there's only so much you can do to replicate in-game tackling in practice 
But I think for the most part, the guys who you actually need to figure out the tackling, figure out who has issues, are playing in the game anyways. Exactly. You're not gonna you're not gonna be concerned about Patrick Sertan's tackling. Is it gonna be physical consistently? That's an issue that I have with him. Um, Ronald Darby, Justin Simmons, like you don't need have those questions there. But guys like Caden Stearns, PJ Locke, Ojemudi, like those mm-hmm. guys, yeah, you're you're gonna still see those ones out there. So yeah. Uh, Gary Leeds Palmer jumping in here. Good afternoon, Lance, Eric, and Scott. Uh, Broncos country, go Broncos, and let's ride. And thank you, Gary, for joining us. Generous t- stars donation, as per usual. We thank you, Gary, for that. Uh, there was a, a good question here from a new face that is new, at least in my recollection. Uh, Gatorade Gaming jumping in here saying, will we see Billy Turner in the prison, or is he the understood starter? Eric, what do you think? Um, it just depends on his injury. I don't think that we'll see him this week as he's still working back. Maybe we see him to close it out. Uh, but after watching um, Andrew, Calvin Anderson's game against the Cowboys and depending on how he does against the Buffalo Bills, I mean, it's, there's a good chance that Turner comes in with no preseason action and ends up the starter. Anderson really struggled against the Cowboys, and now he's going against the first unit of that. We're probably going to see him against Von Miller. Like he's got to step up. Otherwise Turner is right there to take his spot. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because Billy Turner had that late arthroscopic surgery on that knee. They're just kind of working him along slowly. So we don't necessarily know what he has as of right now, but going back to even his tape at green Bay, this last season where he was playing through that knee injury, he was still better than what Calvin Anderson showed on, on last Saturday. Like it was, it was really, really rough. And there's no Broncos depth piece on the offensive line to me that can play that right tackle spot as of right now that I would trust to throw out there week one. So Turner may be the de facto starter, just based on the experience and the ability that he showed last season, let alone what he's what's going on as of right now. So Gatorade, we do appreciate you for joining us on this. Eric, there's something that you and I kind of went back and forth on before we get into the cornerbacks. Um, understanding the depth and, and depth players and critical role players and stuff like that. You and I were kind of a little back and forth on it. And I do apologize for leaving that conversation a little bit early. I was tired and ready to go to bed. But I want to kind of clarify some things here that we were talking about because there was a poll, I believe it was uh, Marcus Boggins threw it out on his Twitter account. And he was asking, do you consider Baron Browning a quote depth player? And where we kind of had a disconnect and I want to go full circle on this conversation here was Baron Browning. While I believe that he is a critical role player. He's still a depth player. He's not a guy you're going to see out there for the most part, playing the majority of the snaps. He's going to play a lot and he's going to be a guy that could potentially be considered a starter. But when you're talking about the roster as a whole, you have your starters and then you have your depth players. Now, getting into the gray area of that, you do have the critical roles that other teams that, that players may play. If you're talking just straight up a, a three, four base, uh, you know, three down linemen, four, four linebackers, uh, two cornerbacks, two safeties, straight up base. Your starters are the cornerbacks, your safeties, your outside linebacker, yada, yada, yada. I want your opinion on this. I want you to kind of debunk what I was thinking for the most part here. And why is Baron Browning considered not necessarily a depth player, but more of a guy that has that super critical role, a a very valuable chess piece for this Broncos defense? Well, I mean, when you're talking about a base, you're not getting your nickel corner out there. You're not getting your in on offense, base offense looks. You're not really most offenses. You're not really always having that third wide receiver. While they're not starters, they're essentially starters. They're playing a huge role on it. And Baron Browning, even as the third edge, is likely headed for a big role with that. They're going to want to help um, keep Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory healthy. They're both going to get rest. 
and Browning's right there. He's going to be part of that big rotation for it. For me, it is you have your starters. That's your 25 guys that are they're your starters barring injury. Mm-hmm. You're 11 on offense, 11 on defense, then your three special teamers. Then you have core rota- core rotational pieces. That is your third receiver, your third uh, your nickel corner, your third edge, your um, number two running back in a lot of offenses nowadays, so on and so forth. And then there's probably, I would say there's probably about 10 or so of those core um, backup pieces, those core rotational pieces. And then the rest are depth. Depth are guys that you don't really want out there on the field. And that's definitely not Browning. You want him out there on the field. Even if he's not starting, you want to find a way to use him and get him out there on the field. Even if it means pulling Chubb or Gregory off. And for me, I don't think that the gap between Chubb or Gregory and Browning is so substantial that you have to really be super concerned about a major drop-off in play. Right. I don't disagree with anything you said. And uh, sorry to do this here. I just wanted to kind of vocalize this a little bit better. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I was speaking more black and white. Like We have starters, and then we have our depth pieces. And some of these depth pieces have a more critical role. They do a lot more different things, like a Baron Browning, like a K1 Williams, for example, who's probably going to be a starter at the, at the nickel cornerback position but he's not your first two guys out on the field. You have a, a third safety in there, a Caden Stearns or a Kareem Jackson, whoever that may be. Those are your core depth pieces, your critical role players that have to have a, a certain role on every single team. You have to have those pieces. And that's why we talk about the depth of this Broncos team is so good from after your starters. There's so many great critical role players on this roster from the top to the bottom, even after the starters, that the depth of this team as a whole, there's not very many of those players as far as like the bottom 10 to 12 guys on this roster that you don't necessarily want to have out on the field because they can all play a critical role position, whether that's on special teams or not. Uh, Andrew Baker jumping in here really fast, and I'll let you expand on this one and grab Andrew really fast. Uh, what's up, Valley boys? Uh, with right tackle still a question, what is the best or worst case scenario at the position? Uh, hashtag DVDD for life. So, Eric, go ahead and expand on that, and then we'll jump into this question really fast. Um, so, for me, the best case is Billy Turner at this point. I mean, I don't think he's a great right tackle, but he's solid. Like, he was solid there for Green Bay. I got a lot of heat when he first signed on there because I made a comment about how he's not your ideal starting right tackle. And he's not like you wish you had somebody that could be more, a little more reliable than he is. Billy Turner has had issues in pass protection. It has been a consistent issue whenever he's been at tackle or guard, he's been more effective as a guard in the NFL as well. So he's not your ideal starting right tackle. However, for Denver at this point, he is your ideal starting right tackle because Without seeing him, we know what he is. We've seen it on tape before. We have plenty of evidence of it. He is better than what Calvin Anderson has brought. And the biggest issue with Calvin Anderson for me has been consistently, we have always questioned what can he do at right tackle? Because when he takes the field at left tackle, he's been pretty darn good. Like, I don't want to say like starter quality, but there's no questions that he can be a very capable backup left tackle. Not every t- offensive lineman can flip sides so easily, and maybe Anderson's one of them, that the technique, the issues with his body, the f- the whole flipping of it is a little bit more difficult for him. And that so that's why he's just more naturally a left tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Valentine coming in here with a great comment that, Eric, I know that you definitely agree with on this one. Um, I 100% am right there behind you as well. Uh, Braxton Jones would have been a great pickup. Never really understood the DeLarian Turner yell pick. I'm 
like lockstep in a hundred percent fully in on this take Braxton Jones, even as a developmental tackle would have been a better option of going into this season than a guy like a Delarin Turner yell, who sounds like he's been playing tremendously, but given the depth of the safeties of what the Broncos currently have right now, obviously Simmons and Kjax are doing their thing up as the starters, but Caden Stearns, who played really well as a, as a rookie last season, coming in for another uh, – a, a poised for another breakout season. And then P.J. Locke, who has looked really, really good throughout the, the majority of the preseason, including that interception that he got against the uh, the Cowboys last week. DTY, I'm not going to say anything like specifically bad about him. It was just puzzling. With the Broncos needing another right tackle option, a specifically a developmental right tackle Braxton Jones, to me, should have been the pick all the way around. This is a hindsight argument. So, Eric, I want your analysis on this. So, this is probably going to draw some meat. This whole argument reminds me of the whole um, Denver needed a quarterback in the 2021 draft, pass it up for Patrick Stan because they didn't love Justin Fields. Obviously, if we're going to say that about that, obviously they didn't love Braxton Jones. They didn't like something about his tape. And or they just like Delary and Turner Yell more. Something about it, they liked him more. And they ended up taking him. Ben, I mean, we had issues with it when we were live for it. They needed to tackle help. At that point, Braxton Jones was falling. And but still it came to the fifth round. He was still on the board and they still passed him up. So something there was something there that they did not like about it. I do have the same issues of why a safety. Like, I understand that he popped up a little bit. I understand that they wanted to bolster their special teams a little bit. But to me, the only reasoning is could be is that, like, they still weren't sure about the step Caden Cerns would take. Um, I can't remember for sure if Kareem Jackson was back on the roster by that point or not. I can't remember if it was just prior to the draft or just after that he resigned. Um, and then they didn't know what P.J. Locke was going to be. Right. So it makes sense to add a little bit to their depth there. Jamar Johnson, they've seemed like they wanted to move on for a while. Mm-hmm. So makes sense as to for some reasons why I still would have gone tackle there, but obviously they just didn't like Braxton Jones that much. Well, and that's why those guys are the professionals and we're the the a holes that are behind the scenes talking talking trash and going in hindsight arguments and stuff like that. Travis Weber jumping back in here saying beyond quarterback right tackle. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner has been Denver's Achilles heel for quite some time. And that's absolutely the truth. It's been what? So let's see 2014, I believe it was when um, Orlando Franklin signed with the uh, San Diego chargers at back at that point. Um, and the Broncos didn't even necessarily give him an offer since Orlando uh, Franklin has left the Broncos roster. They've started 19 different players at the right tackle position. 19. That's more than twice as many quarterbacks that they've had. It's been a revolving door at the right tackle position, and I don't mean that just in the players that have been playing on the field, but also uh, like the names on the back of the, the jersey. But in terms of the players that are actually on the field, right tackle has been a turnstile for this team for a long time. 2013 was the last time that they had stable play at the right tackle position, and that was when Orlando Franklin was there before they moved him over to left guard. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, it has been a constant change. I can't remember for sure, but I don't think that they've had the same right tackle for two years in a row since then. I'm not 100% sure on that because I just can't remember, you know, the 2014-2015 that time the, um, of who it was, but I, I that feels correct, but I may be mistaken on that. The, the one that I think they had back-to-back seasons lined up was 16-17 was Donald Stevenson. But he was just so bad that, it, and there was an injury in there as well. I know that Metalik Watson in there, uh, Michael Schofield for a little bit. I believe that was 2014, 2015. Um, I think Tyler Columbus played in there for a minute. Uh, it, Ryan Harris was there. Like it, it's just been, it's just been bad. Uh, Phil McLaughlin jumping in here. Uh, good evening, Lance, Eric, and Scott coming in late, which that's fine. At least you're joining us, Phil, as per usual. I'm on the road. Drive safe, and please don't text and drive, and hopefully you're riding as a passenger while watching us. Hashtag let's ride, Phil says, and thank you, Phil, for joining us as per usual. James Richard jumping in here with the $5 super chat. Thanks, James, for that. We appreciate you, man. Our teams with tandem halfbacks, uh, backfield starting the, the number two over the first team halfback. Uh, in other words, is Denver saving Gordon for the second half of the season? Season, do you get my point? So, what you're saying is having uh, two running backs, like a running back by committee, where you start one for the first half, keep the second one fresh, bring the second one in, and kind of do that style of rotation. I believe that's where you're getting at, James. Um, Eric, what do you think of that dynamic? And are the Broncos potentially going to be doing something like that with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon? I mean, we kind of saw it last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't officially do it. Um, on the depth chart and everything, but they got to a point where Javante Williams started seeing the seeing the field more than Melvin Gordon did, and then Javante Williams got hurt, and so Melvin Gordon kind of set back up. Um, it's definitely possible. One thing is definitely for sure, though, coming out of camp is that they wanted to go into the season with a set like a seventy thirty split between Williams and Gordon, but now it seems like they're destined for a closer fifty fifty split. Mm-hmm. Um, Melvin Gordon has looked that good in practice. Whereas Javante Williams, he hasn't looked bad. He's just had enough issues and concerns to keep it to where he's not a uh, to to uh, be that full time starter. Yeah, essentially, like to, to be the guy that's going to like take the reins and and be the bell cow back. I I I, I got where you're going on that. I want to talk quickly before we switch this conversation. We're about 25 minutes into this. Um, 
before we switch over to the cornerbacks and safeties and whatnot, filling out our 53-man roster, I want to ask you this question specifically regarding Javante and Melvin Gordon. Um, when, when you watched Melvin Gordon last season, especially towards the later half of the season, when they went to more outside zone stuff, um, some pin and pull, getting Melvin Gordon onto the boundary a little bit more, he seemed to have better patience. It seems like that fits his skill set a lot better than what it does with Javante Williams, who wants to stick his nose in there and just go and create and seek out contact. With with Nathaniel Hackett and this wide zone scheme that he seems to be implementing here, is that a reason why Melvin Gordon seems to be looking better in practices or is there something else behind the scenes here that we just don't quite understand? Um, from what I've gathered for it, I'm not there. I'm just listening to what's been reported and everything. It just seems like Williams issues has been some of the vision issues that we've talked about on here before mm-hmm. of him not fully seeing the hole that's open to him and instead running in, running into the defense, running into the heart of the defense and leaving yards out there on the field. Yeah, which which makes sense, especially when you go back and watch his tape back at North Carolina and even some of the stuff that he did uh, with Denver this last season where he just buried his head down, bounced off a couple of guys, and then dragged some people down for 15 to 20 yards. Like, it, it makes a lot of sense. But I want to go back again to Melvin Gordon here because when he was back at Wisconsin, when they ran outside zone there, he was absolutely tremendous. I think he ran for like 2,200 yards that season back at Wisconsin, being the bell cow back in a specifically outside zone scheme. Like that's what they do at Wisconsin. It's a great scheme and they do a great job executing, uh, executing it up front. So to me, I, I think that's why we're seeing Melvin Gordon start to snipe some of these carries in the, uh, in this Broncos backfield, just because it's so much better suited for his game. Yeah. Um, before we get to the defensive backs, I looked it up in right tackle. And no, Denver has not had to start the season the same tackle in back-to-back years since wow. 2013. Um, the closest one was Elijah Wilkinson, who mm. was a starter to start 2020 and finished the season there in 2019 after Jawan James got hurt. But he wasn't the starter to start the season. So James was. So technically. Yeah, that's... That's true. That, that's a some that that's a semantics argument really fast because James played what five snaps before he before he did his <laughs> he played sixty three total like he played sixty three total snaps that year, but I mean it's just technically at the start of the, the season at the starting roster like Juwan yeah. James was it not Elijah Wilkinson that's true, um, but getting to these defensive backs obviously we've had a lot of discussion about it. I think it's safe to say there's five guys that we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about not for the Bills game they're. One of them may will probably play. The other four probably won't. All five of them seem to have their position on the roster locked up. Obviously, Justin Simmons, Patrick Sertan, Ronald Darby, they're all con- cemented starters. Kareem Jackson seems to be the other starter at safety. Caden Stearns is that third safety. Stearns is probably one of the ones that's going to play. But filling out both the corner room and the safety room, that's where we got to see guys step up. And sticking with the safety position is talking about with a question with, about uh, Turner Yell. And with PJ Locke, is PJ Locke has definitely stepped up. Turner Yell is dealing with a concussion, so is this a game? I don't, I don't know right now if Turner Yell will be able to play or not. I think he's been at practice, but they may give him out for it. Um, this is a good chance for both Stearns and Locke to cement themselves as the number three and number four safety. If Stearns isn't the guy who's going to be starting next to Simmons. I put Stearns on our roster just based on the experience that he has this last season. Um, There's some question marks there for sure. It seems like he's been kind of just struggling for the most part throughout the preseason, but 
based on what we saw, he was the best safety on the field that wasn't Kareem Jackson or Justin Simmons last season. He, he was very good. I, like the, the flashes that he had were consistent. Um, they, they were very bright. Um, it, it may not have been, um, I know I said consistent, but they're like, I'm, I'm saying like it was a consistent level of play. There was no like super high and then super low. Everything he showed was just consistent, nice quality, even level play. PJ Locke, um, this is a, a player that Eric and I kind of go back and forth about. There's a, there's a, I think we put it out here before where uh, PJ Locke actually came at Eric and in his Twitter, the Twitter mentions or the direct mentions anyways, um, to say, you know, your, your criticism of my play has actually helped me improve my game. And that, that I, because of you guys, you guys are actually the ones that drew, like drove me to being on this roster. Um, so Locke might be the one guy that we're talking about here that is the number four safety. DTY, I think with him being a rookie and a late round rookie, and also with the concussion issues here, I think that this is where the conversation really starts because typically teams keep what 10 defensive back or defensive backs period with whether it's six cornerbacks and four safeties or five and five. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. So is DTY that 10th player that the Broncos keep? Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner keep on this opening day roster or maybe do they keep 11 well first of all if they keep five de- five safeties i don't think turner yellow is that fifth one okay and i don't think i don't think they keep five safeties i don't either um they reed came out and he had a really good game against dallas and with how they were using him, they seem like when they go into their you know nickel and dime packages, J.R. Reed was dropping down in the slot. He was dropping down into that that dime backer position, and he played pretty good football. And he showed more than Turner Yell did. And I don't can't remember how much Turner Yell was out there on the field before he got the concussion. Um, but Reed was noticeable multiple times, and I think he's pushing for it. I think at the very least, he will probably be a practice squad spot. But I think this is a chance for him to be show more than that sixth corner. And right now, that sixth corner for me is your favorite dude, Asang Basi. Can J.R. Reed show more than him? That's going to be difficult because Quan Williams' health concerns, and he's never played a full season, so maybe they do kill that. Like That's where this question comes down to, for that maybe they do keep 11. Teams are doing that more frequently now. 
with, you know, as prevalent as nickel and dime packages are. So maybe Denver follows suit. Um, when I made my 53 man roster, I just can't find a way. So Reed and bossy for that 10th spot. That to me is where the real question is. Right. So let's put PJ lock onto this roster really fast. Cause we're going to end that conversation. I think that he's done enough specifically with that interception that he had against Dallas. Like that was a great play recognition. There was an interview with him where he kind of talked about how he recognized what, um, what the Cowboys were lined up in, knew the situation, knew what they were going to try to do there, drove on the football, made a great play, got that interception, put the Broncos in scoring position. And like, that's just, that's what you want to see from your depth players, stuff like that. Like, and he's also a quality special teams player. I think he had a pretty decent game in special teams for, at least from what I saw. So we're going to go with our four safeties, Simmons, Kareem Jackson, Caden Stearns, and PJ Locke. Um, I want to go back to your conversation here really fast um, with, uh, with cornerbacks one, two, three, obviously Sertan, Darby, K1 Williams, cornerback four. I've been kind of, pushing not really a narrative, but just bringing up this conversation of Michael Ojemudia and Todd Osendorf jumping in here. Michael Ojemudia might be the fourth defensive back, at least at cornerback. After watching him play against Dallas, there was a lot of very bright flashes. If he'd got just another half a step on a, on an out route, he would have taken the ball all the way back for a touchdown. He, that ball went through his hands, but he was, he jumped the route for a pick six. It was great in run defense. He tackled really well from what I saw. There's some lows as well. He gave up a big reception on third down and 12, I think, something like that. But Ojemudia, I need to back off on this take. I think he's very securely on this roster. So we'll put him at the fourth cornerback spot. And then the other one, at number five, is the rookie Damari Mathis. And this is another reason why I said Michael Ojemudia might be expendable. Because Damari Mathis, while I like this tape at Pittsburgh, he's been on a rise with this Broncos uh, with this Broncos defense and training camp. He's been absolutely spectacular. So let's put those in really fast. I want your opinion on Ojemudia and what you saw, and then uh, also on Damari Mathis really fast. So I think that there's definitely still a competition going on between the two for the fourth and fifth spot. I think Ojemudia has a roster spot, but I don't think he's cement he's locked in as that fourth guy. Um, he also dealt with a concussion in the game too, but he seems to have been cleared for that. Um, as I think he entered the went back into the game afterwards. I think so too. Um, but Ojemudia, I mean, he looked really good against the run. Like he was very tough as a run defender, which you want on the boundary. Um, he had that one big play to break up the pass, that near interception, and the, a lot of people are hitting him for a play that they rightfully should be. He was it was third and twelve, and he was playing eight yards off the line of scrimmage, and he proceeds to back up, which is fine. You can play off in third and twelve situations, but you can't let the receiver be open and have separation at the first down marker. So you got to meet your receiver at that point. That's got to be your sticking point. You're lying in the sand, and Ojemudia, I think it was Noah Brown. He hits that he hits that twelve yard spot, that first down marker, and cuts inside. And Ojemudia is five or six yards still back from that. He didn't stick it. And when you watch the rest of the defense, the, everybody else in the secondary, their back pills, they stopped once they hit that marker. Really good situational, or not situational, but awareness of where they're at on the field to sit there. And that's your sticking point. You're going to try to keep everything in front of you and come up and make the tackle. Ojemudia didn't do that. And he rightfully is getting roasted for that. And it's issues like that that will see him lose that fourth spot. And reasons why that, why his roster spot has been such a hot topic as to if he's going to make it still better than bless Austin, Donnie Lewis, the other depth corners that they have for this year. But beyond this year, like unless he absolutely kills it this year, he's definitely in jeopardy after the season. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. Uh, James Richard jumping in here with another generous super chat. Thank you, James, for joining us. I, I believe you're a new name for our show as well. So again, welcome into Dove, uh, Dove Valley Deep Divers. We really appreciate your support here, buddy. Uh, he says the Broncos last six games of the year could be the toughest in the entire NFL. I feel we must have like an eight and three to nine and two start. It's very possible we go three and three within the last six. Let's say you. So I'm going to pull this this the Broncos schedule up really fast. Um, obviously, we know the um, the the first two games at the Seahawks. They got the Texans after that. 49ers, uh, Broncos. Uh, they have the Raiders as well. The Colts. Uh, but these last six games specifically, we have. Um, I believe it's Broncos at the Ravens, the Chiefs at the Broncos, the Cardinals at the Broncos, Broncos at Rams, uh, Broncos at the Chiefs, and then Chargers at the Broncos to follow it out. So you're looking at two games against the Chiefs. You've got a perennial playoff contender in the Baltimore Ravens. You have the Super Bowl champions of last year, the Los Angeles Rams, and then the Chargers, who is like the media darling of this season. So that's a pretty rough Six game stretch, Eric. What do you think about this? Do the Broncos have to start off nine and two to begin the season? And three and three could very well be possible. I think one and five is possible in those last six yes. games. Mm -hmm. It obviously there's so many variables in play; it's hard to accurately predict it. I don't think they lose every game. I don't think they. I don't think they go zero and six. I don't think they go six and zero. One and five is possible. I mean, you have their game on the road against the Baltimore Ravens. And that's a tough place to play. You have to go into Kansas City in late December, early January, um, early January, which is a tough place to play. You have to go into Los Angeles, which the Rams, they're going to be absolutely rocking this year because uh, not the team, but the fans are going to be rocking the stadium. I mean, because they're coming off the Super Bowl win. And then the Chargers are always difficult, mm -hmm. but it's a home game. So that should help Cardinals being at home, like so many variables in play. I think that if you don't start off, if you're hitting those final six games with four or five losses, you're unlikely looking at a playoff spot from the Broncos. If you can beat nine and two or eight and three after the start, then they're in pretty good position. I don't disagree with you on that one. The one game that I think is probably the the most winnable out of those out of those six games is the Cardinals in in Denver. Like you've got the home game late and it's December 18th at, at 205 starts. The Broncos play well at home in December. Um, and the Cardinals have been a team that have like historically faded in the in December, most of November, to be honest. They the Cardinals have those hot starts to begin the season, but then there's something about Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray where the like teams figure them out to close the season. That is quite honestly the most winnable game. The Ravens right. in Baltimore, like that's that's a tough game because you're talking the beginning of December, the season's starting to wind down, and you've got an elite rushing football team in the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson and, and the J.K. Dominance, who sounds like he's coming back healthy. Gus Edwards is healthy as well. Like that's what you do best in, in December. Like the team that runs the ball and plays quality defense in December is typically the ones that are gonna win those football games. So that that's a tough matchup. And then obviously the chiefs and the chargers, like the division games are always a toss up. So it, it's rough. And there's that saying any given Sunday for a reason, mm -hmm. like any Sunday, anything can happen. As Chase Walsner says here, for all we know, Denver can lose to Jacksonville in London and beat the Rams later in the season. That's a hundred percent true. Like it is possible that they do go. zero and six in that because any given Sunday, anything can happen. Who knows what the status of the Broncos is going to be at that point. Health wise, which could be a negative thing. Could be a positive thing. Same thing with for other teams. Um, Kansas City, they could lose Patrick Mahomes. They could lose 
um, Travis Kelsey. They can lose these key players just as Denver can. I mean, we're talking about the final six games of the season. They're tough, and Denver needs to be in a good position entering those six, six, those final six games. And I think that just is plain and simple, an easy fact there. Like just with how tough those games are, you got to be nine and two or eight and three. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. I'm gonna pull up a share screen really fast, Eric, because I have over the last uh, right before we kind of got started for tonight, but about last hour and a half or so. Kind of went through and got our um, got our fifty three man roster at least based on what I remember seeing that. So let me go in here and I'll I'll try to uh, blow that up just a little bit. So we've got obviously at the quarterback position you've got Russell Wilson, you've got Josh Johnson at, at the quarterback, running back Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, Mike Boone, uh, Garrett Bowles obviously at the left tackle position, Dalton Reisner, Natani Moody. Um, Lloyd Cushenberry, Graham Glasgow, Quinn Miners, Tom Compton, Calvin Anderson, and Billy Turner round out your offensive line. Albert Okawebenam, Greg Dulcich, who's kind of bouncing back from that hamstring injury he has. Uh, Eric Saubert was a, a guy that we had talked about for the most part um, as a, a, you know, that, that when we talked about tight ends, he was really kind of coming on strong in training camp. And then Eric Tomlinson being that one guy um, as the, to round out the roster. Uh, interior defensive lineman, DJ Jones, Draymond Jones, Deshaun Williams, McTelvin Ajim, uh, Enioma Owazarike, Mike Purcell was the one that we've kind of we debated him with uh, Matt Henningsen as that last guy on the roster. Uh, at the edge position, Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory, obviously those are your starters. Baron Browning playing that that huge role that we kind of talked about earlier. Nick Benito, um, obviously rookie second-round pick. He's going to make this team. Aaron Patrick and Jonathan Cooper as the depth players on this roster. They both play fairly decently on, on special teams, but we also don't know how this fourth linebacker position is going to – Kind of shake out. Obviously, you well, get Josie Jewell, we Joe have Alex. Well, yeah, we do have we do have Joe Schober now. We I'm, have like a, said, we have a better idea now than when we did this because at the time we were talking about how they could look to add a linebacker, and they have right. added Joe Schober, and for for an unfortunate reason, but they have added to their linebacker room. Yes, um, so Schobert's in there as of right now, and he's probably going to make the make the roster at least at this point because of the injury to Jonas Griffith. Um, but then, obviously, the cornerbacks, we just got done talking about those guys. We're going to throw a Sang Bassi on the, the roster for right now um, just because, as of right now, that's the way that it is has been seemingly shaping up. Sorry for that, guys. Um, but then, obviously, you have um, Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, Caden Stearns, and P.J. Locke. There's a couple of big things that we have kind of um, figured out as far as um, the, uh, the the roster. And based on what we saw last week with the Dallas Cowboys, is there anything that you really kind of want to shake up here in terms of players that have kind of stood out from what we saw? We've been doing this for over a month now. So there's some questions that need to kind of be answered here. So I'm curious as to your take on to some of these players that we have on the roster, at least to the way that we've been doing this as to where they stand right now. Um, yeah. I don't think McTelvin Najee makes this roster. Um, when we did this, this was the one of the ones that we had. Um, he seems on his way out. I think that Matt Henningsen has supplanted him. Um, and the fact is that Matt Henningsen got a lot of, was starting the game as a nose tackle with Mike Purcell, not playing Mike Purcell seems comfortably on the roster as that fourth defensive lineman. They want to focus on stopping the run, and they think that he can have that and do that. I mean, he's the only true two-gapper nose tackle that they have on the roster. So true. That's a that's a big piece there. Um, I can't. How was how did we have wide receivers? Because I think that's the only other thing that could possibly shake up a little bit. Oh, I don't. I don't have those ones written down. But it was Cortland Sutton. Because um... we had Tyree Cleveland because it was before his 
throat injury. Yep. And Aaron, I mean, Dwayne Stukes mentioned about Tim Pat or about Tyree Cleveland and wanting him on the roster as for special teams play. Right. So I think that he could make it as a seventh receiver. And I've I talked about it last week. I didn't think that Denver is keeping more than six receivers, but more and more listening to Dwayne Stukes' comments about Cleveland being a core special teamer, listening to how they've talked up Ken, uh, Kendall Hinton and Brandon Johnson, it seems like that seven wide receivers are poised to make the roster at this point. James Richard comes in with another $5 donation, says, does Denver really like Josh Johnson, or are they banking on a full healthy season with Wilson? Um, it seems like that they prefer Josh Johnson over Brett Rippon internally, and based off the Dallas game, I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, he had a rough start to it, but Brett Rippon, I mean, he was outside of two plays where he was two for two for 72 yards. He was six of 16 for 41 yards. He had four attempts from the one from what the three yard line to push it in for a score. And because of issues he has with timing and placement, Denver wasn't able to push it in. Uh leading to a turnover on down. So it seems like Josh Johnson's the case, but it doesn't matter because Russell Wilson is a caliber of quarterback that if he goes down, hopefully it's not for, for very long, because if it is your season's basically done for. I don't disagree with you on that. And we actually had a, a, a great tweet from Nick Kendall, our colleague here at milehighhuddle.com um, saying exactly that. Like it, I believe it was Tom Moore is who Nick was, was quoting specifically. And he said that uh, Tom Moore saying that if it doesn't matter who our backup quarterback is, because if 18 goes down, we are effed like plain and simple. We are effed. This offense revolves around Peyton Manning being able to do what he does at the quarterback position. And we don't want to play back at those days. It was Jim Sorge, I believe Curtis painter, like guys like that, like, the, the backup quarterback, yes, it matters, especially when you don't have a solidified starter. But when you have a guy like Russell Wilson, who's potentially a Hall of Fame player, I think he's a Hall of Famer. That's just my personal opinion. But there's a debate you can have on that. When you have a guy like Russell Wilson and you have him like vacate the offense through injury and you have to start that backup quarterback, it doesn't matter. Like You better have a quality offensive line. You better have a quality running game and you better have a quality defense because – if, if you don't have those things, your backup quarterback is going to flounder to begin with. Like that's just plain and simple facts. And you, I mean, you can do enough around the backup quarterback mm -hmm. to go and, you know, continue to win games. And a lot of people like to point to what the Philadelphia Eagles did and what even yeah. the Denver Broncos did. But the issue there is that let's not, you know, kiss butt here or anything. Peyton Manning for the 2050 season wasn't the Peyton Manning that, of the old Peyton Manning, the caliber of play we got from Peyton Manning that season wasn't, you know, ideal starter caliber play. No. And Breck Osweiler wasn't much better, but they had enough talent from the rest of the team and outstanding defense to carry them to some extra wins, a great running game. Same with the Philadelphia Eagles. They had a great defense. They had a good running game. If Denver does knock on wood, lose Russell Wilson and Josh Johnson has to start or Brett Rippon, whoever wins up when ends up winning the backup quarterback job, you have to get the running game going. It has to be the focus of your offense because you don't want the ball in their hands trying to make the make plays for them all that often. Like the situations are not similar to what um, the Broncos did in 2015 or what the Eagles did because of just the caliber of teams that they had right denver's defense looks to be of that close to that caliber but the run game nothing close to it 
Right. And James jumping back in here with another super chat saying great answer. And thank you. And thank you for that, James. We do appreciate that. Um, I do want to add one more ad, uh, aspect into this and think what you want of Doug Peterson and the way that he was kind of run out of Philadelphia. Um, like that there's some stories behind the scenes that I have some pretty decent information on that I'm not going to share out here publicly because it's not my business to do so. But Doug Peterson and what he was able to do in guiding the ship there, you have a backup quarterback, putting that quarterback in a position to succeed in Nick Foles, um, being creative with your play calling and stuff like that throughout the playoffs, understanding you don't have to have your quarterback win these football games for you. That is a huge deal. And going back to the Broncos 2015, Gary Kubiak. Like Gary Kubiak throughout that season, even with Peyton Manning, while we can hate him for making Peyton Manning run bootleg play action plays and stuff like that and not doing what Peyton Manning did best, it was still the best for what this Broncos roster did because when Peyton Manning went down, Brock Osweiler was able to come in and it wasn't seamless. Let's not like kid ourselves here. But he was able to put Brock Osweiler in enough like capable situations where Brock was able to guide this team to some wins. And then when Peyton came back, Gary Kubiak did the right thing, putting Peyton back in, giving the team the spark that they needed, the leadership that they needed to guide them all the way to the Super Bowl. Having the rosters, the quality rosters around these players is definitely a boon for their like for their success. It really boils down to the coaching. Can your coaches put you in the right situation? And it doesn't necessarily matter who that backup quarterback is because if you're losing your starter, you're in a crappy situation to begin with, but your coaches and the quality of your roster around it, specifically the coaching staff can really put you in the best situations to succeed. And another aspect of this is luck bounce of the yes. ball. Like Denver got lucky a couple times in that 2015 season. The Eagles got lucky a few times in that season. And it typically, you know, regresses towards the mean, but I mean, I, if I remember correctly, for people that have tried to quantify luck into the NFL aspect with analytics and stuff like that, both the 2015 Broncos and that Eagles Super Bowl team were two of the luckiest teams in the since 2000 or whatever it was. Like they were top five in terms of luck. Like the ball just bounced their way more often than not, and that's great. And but you just can't rely on that to be a winning team if your starting quarterback goes out. Well, speaking of luck, let's go back to the Broncos 2015 and that Super Bowl. Uh, was it Bubba Caldwell, I believe is who it was, that, or uh, whoever it was, that caught a punt that should have been fair caught and was about to get obliterated, and everybody on the Panthers team thought that he fair caught the football. He ended up taking it 57 yards. It, like, it was one of the longest punt returns, if not the longest punt return, in Super Bowl history. You don't see that. Like, like you got to be touched by the hand of the football God saying you're going to be lucky today. Like, the, like you're absolutely correct there. Luck is unquantifiable there. The, the, the ball may bounce out of bounds on a fumble. It may roll right into your defender. You may just cover it right back up. That's like the random chance of the NFL game. Like there's no way that you can actually specify that and, and make that happen on an, on an everyday basis. It was Jordan Norwood. Thank you, Jess, Jess jumping in here, Jordan Norwood saying, yes, uh, let's go. The the longest punt return in uh, in Super Bowl history. James jumping back in. Man, James, super chat, super star. We do appreciate it. All of your support, man. He says that's why I think a great backup is key. I I don't I don't disagree with that. I, I think that having a quality backup quarterback, and it may not even be just in, on terms of like playing on the field. 
what happens behind the scenes, the, the, the coaching aspect, the, the ability to understand the offense, maybe stand on the sideline as like Russell Wilson comes off the field and says, hey, you know, Josh Johnson, for example, says, hey, Russ, I, I saw the, the cornerback creeping up on this. Like you, you kind of missed this read or whatever. Like the understanding of the offense, being that extra set of eyes on the field, a guy that you can have some, like some confidence in and just do a little bit of extra coaching behind the scenes. That's again, unquantifiable. If you have a bad backup quarterback, a guy that's not checked into what's going on on the field, it can lead to even more issues down the line, especially if your starter gets hurt. Yeah. Um, ben Lee says she still obliterated us when Patrick Mahomes went down. They also barely skipped a beat in their other games. Um, yeah, but they massively changed their offense around because you don't have Patrick Mahomes anymore. It was still a situation where the Chiefs are still so were so supremely talented to their competition that they were still able to go out there and just do extremely well. But if with Patrick Mahomes, they do even better. And going back to the whole luck thing, I forgot that 2015 season was a season where they beat the Chiefs off the fumble return of Brendan uh, Bradley Roby, mm-hmm. where they tackled the tackled Jamal Charles and the ball bounced like six yards right into Bradley Roby's hands. Yep. Like, I forgot that was that season. I was thinking it was 24, yep. 2014. So fun fact here, Eric, that was the very last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs was that game. Week two, 2015. That was that game. The Broncos haven't beat the Chiefs since then. Yeah, we'll still have they- to wait a couple of years for the, to break that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think hopefully I think this year. Hopefully this year. I, I think they're going to get him. First, no fear says, please show my question. Uh, post it again, and maybe we'll get to it before we wrap things up here. We are running out of time here, guys. Um, if we if we can't get that really fast, then uh, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. I do want to see what else is there. Eric, do you have anything that is like pressing on, on your mind that you want to grab before we close this out? We are at 50 minutes, by the way, so we probably need to kind of shut this down here real quick. Yeah, we do. We do got to get out of here. So, okay. Um, I got to get to homeschool and the little one. Oh, yeah, that's right. You are starting homeschooling and everything. Um, yeah. All right, guys, we're going to have to shut it down for this. And first, no fear. Sorry for that. I, actually, my computer is not charging, so I'm going to have to get out of here regardless. Um Anyways, guys, thank you all for joining us on Dove Valley Deep Divers Podcast. We do appreciate every single one of you for joining us. Like, as always, find us on Twitter, guys. Join us back in the conversation. Uh, find me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle and also for Scott running the scenes uh, uh, behind the scenes, running the ones and twos and everything at Scout Kennedy. Also, guys, at DVDD underscore pod. Um, that's the podcast account where you're going to just keep up with what we're talking about every single Friday. But if you want real Broncos news and analysis, uh, Go to at Mile High Huddle. Real Broncos news and analysis live every single day. You'll get um, opinion articles, film breakdowns, anything regarding the Broncos. You're going to find it at Mile High Huddle. Uh, we mentioned it earlier in the show because we got a specific question, but I want to give it a shout out again. HuddleUpPod.com. That's the merch tent. Guys, get yourself a hat. Get yourself a t-shirt, a onesie for your baby. There's a teddy bear coffee cup for pretty much everything. Anything that suits your fancy, you're going to find it at HuddleUpPod.com. And guys, On the way out here, we ask everybody every single week to do the one thing the most is smash that like button. But the ticker on the bottom, as I always say, subscribe to Mile High Huddle. No matter what platform you're on, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to Mile High Huddle. You guys don't understand how much that helps us out. 
liking it does a great job as well because it kind of clicks out the algorithm and whatnot. Um, get, just get some more eyes on everything. But the best way to help us is if you love it, please share it. Get it in front of as many Broncos fans as humanly possible because they might share it as well. And it helps us grow what we're doing here, which is what we do best, which is covering our Denver Broncos. Now, with that, Eric, I do have to ask you any last words. I've got about four minutes here before my computer dies. So, Yeah. Um... Tados, so good luck with that, Eric. Hey, I mean, I'm extremely lucky that, you know, my daughter seems extremely excited to learn. She actually th- gets a little upset when we had told her that we have to put it up for now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun being able to sit there and watch her picking up things that we're teaching her, and I'm absolutely enjoying it. And I will see you guys, whoever's there at the meet and greet for the 49ers game this year. I'm able to go. Didn't think I'd be able to, but my big butt is managing unfortunately i have an amazing wife that's allowing me to go as well yeah i unfortunately i'm not going to be able to afford that because two weeks after that i have to go on a, a week-long hunting expedition like i usually do in october so gotta choose one or the other in feeding my family and unfortunately i don't mean this in a bad way but feeding my family is more important than going to a broncos game so i do apologize oh you that. can you can admit it your wife's just not as cool as mine Oh, no, she would have let me go. She would have let me go, but we need food in our freezer. Uh, first, no fear jumping back, saying, uh, quick, before we get out of here, will you guys be on tomorrow after the game? I'm not sure if it's me and Eric or not. I, I've heard that Chad is uh, wanting to do that, and it sounds like he's probably going to be the one on there. Um, but Chad and Zach, more than likely, I'm going to push to see if I can't get on there as well uh, to kind of help break down the game. But, again, Broncos kickoff uh, tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. Excuse me, Mountain Time against the Buffalo Bills. Immediately following the game, you will get the gut reaction with at least a few hosts, uh, maybe just Chad and Zach, but I want to try to get on there as well. But at least you're going to get the gut reaction on um, Mile High Huddle's YouTube page coming live immediately following the game. So make sure you guys are in attendance for that. Um, Alaska is better than hunting. Yes, it is. And I'm going to be in Alaska 2024. I promise you on that one. Uh, anyways, with that, guys, we do have to say good night to everybody. Thank you all again for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, go Broncos. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 